Colorado Hockey Podcast. Where do I begin? That voice you just heard is Ryan Bolding, the website and media relations coordinator for the Colorado Avalanche from 2014 to 2017. And quite literally, the lifeline to Avalanche fans around the world through Twitter. And as you'll hear in this podcast, he did plenty more than just his job title. And that's what I love to hear about. The people inside of the machine who make the machine, the people who make things run and give us the in-game experience while we're sitting in our living rooms or in front of our laptops. We jump into this conversation with me asking Ryan to start from the beginning with his origin story. Basically, in like 2009-ish, I started, uh, I started my own blog covering the avalanche, the Burgundy blog, uh, which is funny now because whenever like links pop up in like Facebook history and stuff, all my previous websites have been like repurchased by total random stuff. So it's like a wine website now or something, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but I started a blog and uh, that was sort of my introduction to bloggers that existed at the time. Um, so people like Avalangelist, Aaron, um, and Mile High Hockey and, and those sorts of people and Avs Twitter, um, which is funny. I read an article recently about like Avs Twitter and the, the popular people on Avs Twitter and what Avs Twitter is like. And, and I was like, none of these people are original Avs Twitter. Like it's kind of the 2.0 or 3.0 of what that is now. but. Um, I realized that there was a network of people out there already who sort of knew each other, um, whether in person or just online. And that kind of changed how I went about operating things. So I went through a couple of iterations of blogs and I, I partnered with uh, Justin Goldman, who's the goalie guild um, on the Avalanche Guild, the Avs Guild, um, but basically ran some different blog iterations, website iterations. and hooked up with Mile High Sports and got got connected with them and got a credential and started covering the apps sort of legitimately um, for them. You know, my first, I was tweeted about this somewhat recently, but my first NHL draft was McKinnon's draft. And I, I paid my own way to go out to New York and stay. I stayed in Secaucus, New Jersey, um, but went out there. The draft was in New Jersey at the Prudential Center and um, you know, got to meet people and became familiar with Mike Chambers and Adrian Dater and Terry Fry and kind of worked my way in. And, um, you know, eventually the Avs knew me pretty well and a position opened and I started working for the team there. And I would say between Mile High Sports and, and working for the team would be pretty much how anybody would know me uh, anymore. And so where did you where did you grow up? I grew up in Crested Butte, so I'm a Colorado native, and I grew up up in the mountains, um, skiing, playing hockey outside. We didn't have an indoor rink, so that you know added an interesting wrinkle to just being very bad at hockey. Um, and then I went to DU for college, so I graduated up to playing hockey indoors, and uh, I. I Graduated there in 2008, so I was an incoming freshman when DU won the first of the back-to-back championships, and then I was a freshman when they won the second one. Um, but, you know, like, getting to see people like Paul Stastny play college for a little bit was pretty cool, and um, some of the guys that come through the league, Matt Carl, 
um, you know, some, some lesser known guys who kind of had stints here or there, but I got to see Joe Colburn play in college, you know, so that was kind of cool when he came back to the avalanche to have that connection. Um, but I've always sort of gravitated to hockey and, and been around hockey. I was like a super, super huge hockey fan uh, when I was younger. So it's just something that stuck with me. What age did you learn to skate? You know, I learned to skate. I remember being so young that my skates clipped onto my shoes and there were four blades. It was really like wow. two blades, but there was a split in the middle. So it was two, two blades in the front and two blades in the back. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. It's very yeah. steampunk. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I wouldn't say a lot of my hockey history is like old, old equipment like that. But um, when I was definitely very, very young, I learned to skate. And then uh, I would say right around third, fourth grade for me was when I started playing hockey and became very interested in hockey. And I played through high school. We had a club team, super passionate was one of those kids that was like, I'm going to make the NHL. I'm going to go to hockey camps in the summer and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you don't have access to ice, like you don't think about it at the time, but you really need access to ice and and stuff like that. So it wasn't until I went to DU, I worked at the ice rink. Um, So I was skating every day as a skate guard for like public skates. You're like, oh, being on the ice every day really makes an enormous difference. You have a really interesting and twisted past. Like it's all hockey based, it seems like, but you've been everywhere already. And we haven't even gotten to the part where you joined the Avs. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's kind of all over the place. I feel like I've done a lot of things. Like I was a radio DJ on the community radio station back home. I was a volunteer firefighter. Uh, I had my EMT basic certification, you know, just kind of all over the board. College kind of focused me in on, uh, the writing pathway. I was never a great writer, but I loved the movie Fight Club. And I had a friend who in college freshman year was like, have you read the book? And I, my mind was blown that there would be a book. Uh, and then I went and read it and I loved Chuck Palahniuk and basically was like, I want to be a writer. So I started taking writing classes and journalism classes and, uh, you know, it kind of set me on a pathway there. I think that's what you're really good at, actually. It's funny that you say that you weren't good at it. You clearly did some work on that. But that's like when I think about you is like you're a wordsmith, man. You're a grammar ninja. And when you mess things up, it's 100% on purpose. Like you you, you use a word wrong or kind of misspell it so it's more urban or whatever. But to me, that's your superpower. That's really interesting to say that you didn't start that way. I figured you were just always like that. Like you came out correcting people's spelling or something. (laughs) Yeah, no. I wish. It's kind of you to say that. I wish, first of all, that all my mistakes were intentional. Um, but they're not. And yeah, I was like, a, I remember getting C's in English, you know, in middle school and stuff. I just wasn't very good at it. Um, if you read some of my older writing, sometimes it's just, it's cringeworthy. You're like, oh my God, compared to where I'm at. And that's still true now, right? Sense of that word or, if you yeah, don't look at like your work from a year ago and be embarrassed, evolved. right? Well, sometimes I read some work from a year ago and I'm like, wow, I wrote this. This doesn't seem like I wrote this. You know, like in a good way? Like a, yeah, disassociation where you're like, this is really good. I couldn't have written this, but my name's on it. So I guess I did. I've read your work. It's great, man. It's fantastic, actually. I don't, I don't know. Is that what you're doing now? I'm trying not to jump to the, to the plot twist and all this just yet, but let's just do that. Like, where are you at now? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm not in sports at the moment. Um, 
I was with the Avs for three seasons, almost three full years, and left somewhat abruptly. And uh, I had this kind of thought in my mind, like sports, especially on the team side, is pretty hard to get into. Uh, unfortunately, it's especially at the lower levels, like the coordinator level, it's kind of like, a, you know, people are dying for this job. So it's very kind of cutthroat. And I was naive enough to think, well, I've been in it. So I'm part of like a, an exclusive club now. So I won't have a hard time finding another team or another job. And that's not how it happened at all. So I was lucky enough to uh, kind of be recruited by the athletic to, I guess, would be a stopgap until they brought in Ryan Clark as the full-time guy. They didn't really have anybody lined up for their launch, so they kind of roped me in and cruised on my reputation a little bit. Um, and that, so I wrote some stuff for them, and then I've obviously had a relationship with everyone who came through the Denver Post. So when Mike Chambers, Mike Chambers was trying to get me on for a long time, and uh, I'm grateful for his advocacy and Matt Stevens, who used to be the deputy sports editor there. Um, they brought me in and interviewed me and they were going to kind of use me for like prep sports. I even went and covered one prep football game. And then Mike had some health issues he had to be out of work for. And they brought me in. And so I got to cover the team for the Denver Post, which was kind of always my original goal was to to be like a sports writer. Uh, when I started all of this and then the team thing kind of came came suddenly and was a welcome kind of detour but it was really cool to get the the chance to write for the Denver Post and see your name in print and and get to write some hockey stories there and fill in and unfortunately it just didn't really continue to carry over this year um, I'm not sure I know they moved Kyle I think it was Kyle Fredrickson over to help some but yeah it just didn't really uh you know, come together with the Denver Post for me this year, and it didn't really come together with the athletic. I was a contributor, so it started to turn into more of a freelance thing um, with them. And, you know, there's just kind of a, there's like a saturation now in town of hockey coverage, whether you have DNVR or Colorado Hockey Now or the athletic or the Denver Post. You know, it was one of those things where I was kind of trying to put something together for myself and all of these things happened around it. And then there's all this saturation and you're like, I can't really start a thing and ask people to pay money here and there and there. And we all compete against each other, you know. So at the moment, I'm just kind of on the outside looking in. Do you mind me asking how you came to not work at the apps and tell me to bugger off at any moment? <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was a challenging thing to be uh working for a team that was just not performing um you know as as much as fans were upset with like the way that 2016 <laughs> season ended it was just as hard working there you know and, and living the negativity so it, it's actually changed my perception of fandom a little bit because you start to realize like and i was this way too when i was younger that, you know, like a lot of people live and breathe a sports team or lots of sports teams. And it kind of becomes like they live or die with the team. And when the team is just perennially bad or struggling mightily, you know, they didn't win a lot of games after December. Um, it like colors their world a little bit. And so there was a whole lot of negativity online. Um, and that was coupled with some power struggle dynamics going on within the company 
that made it a really hard working situation um, that kind of chipped at you and chipped at you and wore you down. And so when I got back from the draft, I think uh, it was kind of time for me to move on. And I had, it's funny, I had a development camp right after the draft that year with the McCarr draft. And I felt like that was some of the best work I had done all year was during development camp. And then uh, right when that ended, I left. It was it was time to move on and look for something else. What was your first feeling? Was it like this sucks, or like I can't believe how relieved I am, or both, or like a what little was the bit feeling? of both? It was kind of uh, shocking. It was abrupt. It wasn't like a pre-planned thing. So there was a a lot of emotion and disappointment in um, you know leaving that opportunity, but some excitement to see what was next. I almost immediately ended up flying down to Dallas and interviewing for a position with them. But I wasn't, my heart wasn't really sold on what the role was. And so I kind of three quarter percented the process and they ended up, uh, I was a finalist with another guy who was a, like an assistant or an intern with Tampa and they ended up rolling with him, um, which I think was the better choice because it was mostly just in managing the website position. And I had, I had worn so many hats with the avalanche and felt like my best asset was writing and reporting. So I wasn't totally sold on it. And it came down to, you know, not really taking that opportunity and then trying to find something that fit my skill set better. But it was, you know, it was kind of scary to leave what you had built up to for so long and then struggle to find the next step. Like that's the, the the hardest part was like, okay, there's some uncertainty here, but then the uncertainty continues and continues and continues. And then you're like, oh no, maybe I'm not as good at this or that as I thought, or, you know, I've come to discover that a lot of it is who you know. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, everything is about relationships and stories. And that's like, yeah. if you look at the... Yeah. If you look at the whole just avalanche scene, hockey in Colorado as one big movie, you're you're a legit character in there. I don't imagine that you go to many bars without somebody going, I know who that guy is, or getting weird looks, or out of the corner of your eyes, and people <laughs> snickering about you. And I would hate that. That sounds I don't like know the worst thing in the world, much. man. Well, at least in your prime, right? A little bit, yeah. Uh, and let's be honest, it, there was just fans out there who were characters in this. Like, most people knew who the Dobbs were. Like, it was just a yeah. thing. I'm good friends with the Dobbs and I know you uh, are, yeah. <laughs> Heather. Um, and actually, I believe it was Heather gave me uh, my first Avsam shirt when I worked for the team. Oh, and nice. that's kind of when I, I started seeing them pop, pop up. And that's kind of how I discovered your work uh, was when I was working for the team. And I can't remember if I bought a Condor shirt or she gave me a Condor shirt, but I have a Condor shirt. Um which I always loved. I just loved that whole thing. As soon as that came out, getting to run the team social accounts when things like that happened was kind of the best because you just took it and ran with it and, and had so a lot of fun. Moments. But yeah. I posted a lot of my pictures of my ties that I wore. I'm not even sure how it really started. I forgot uh, about then that, it just became yeah. the thing that I did every game day. And so uh, I, I think a lot of people recognize the ties almost more than me. And so I would have people come up and comment uh, on that. Like I ran into some people at the outdoor game who I've never met before. The outdoor game at Coors Field who like said stuff to me, they obviously knew me from social or something. And uh, 
a couple of years ago, I went to uh, a abs game against Columbus with some friends and somebody like ran into Ben storm who was mm -hmm. a prospect still at the time. And then some guy who knew me from social media, you know, so it was, it was pretty funny. Or I used to run into people in the tunnels sometimes at post game who would say stuff. I'm like, I have no idea who they were, but you know, it was kind of fun. You got a cool vibe going too, though. Even just your, uh, your avatars. I think the current one is with the binoculars, but you got, you know, the impeccably, uh, tie tie i'm not am i saying that right tie tie but like yeah you put a lot of detail into that and a lot of effort into that thing and it was a real thing for a while with all the sports casters and whatnot as well but um you just looked like you know what the hell you're talking about i think people were convinced you're making half a million dollars and you're the reason that people pay attention at times yeah i wish I'm guessing you I weren't making half a million dollars half a million dollars i'd probably still be there but yeah it's it's like my writing you see the old pictures of me and ties or some of the ties i owned before i started taking it seriously and you're like oh my god that's cringeworthy but if somebody you know, saw you in that condor shirt they'd be like he's out of character what's wrong with this guy <laughs> yeah i actually am usually like a t-shirt and jeans or shorts guy flip-flops birkenstocks you know so it was funny because a lot of people's impression of me was that i'm like this buttoned up suit fancy dressed guy but it was, you know, part of the show, putting it on. If I had to wear a suit, I might as well look good in it. I mean, it's like the uniform, right? You put that on because you're going to do work. It's game time. Yep. Exactly. Got to look professional. And so you mentioned a whole lot of people, and there's this sort of, I don't know what's the right word. There's this sort of framework of abs media and how people consume it that's been around forever. Dater's been around forever. I just talked to him recently. Still the same dude, by the way. I love that about him. Yeah. Not everybody yeah. loves him, and he can be a real asshole. I can too, but he's genuine and authentic. He's never trying to be anything but himself, and I just I love that about people when they're just being themselves. Yep, and, I would have to give Dater a lot of credit for taking me under his wing. I feel like for anyone that I had sort of a mentorship with, uh, it was born out of some sort of misrepresented Twitter interaction that went negative it got kind of ugly and mm -hmm. then when we reconciled became like good friends so you know there was a period of time right before I got hired by the abs where uh Dater and I were good friends but also competitors and he would credit me on his vlogs on the Denver Post and I would do his avalanche talk podcast with him from his house all the time yep. you know and I owe him a lot for helping me get to where I was and, and move forward. And the same goes for Mike for helping me, you know, even recently and Terry Fry I have a good relationship with all of them. You know, it's kind of funny too working for the team because you have, I was in a media relations capacity as well. So I have all these relationships with everyone in the media and you know, everyone, you know, and it's, it's a small world and it's not one where, you know, you necessarily want to fight with anybody. So generally just being cordial to one another builds a stronger relationship. I felt like you had allies out there. Um, I'm trying to think it was, was it Vegas? You got along with pretty good for a while when they came on. Um, yep, I, I feel like you always um, admired other people who did their job well. And I think that came through too, but I love how you, you weren't just attacking people. You were witty. You, you jab people here and there, especially yeah. if they jabbed first, but you're very astute. You're very astute for sure. I knew it was easier when you knew the person behind the account. So I knew the person who used to run the ducks account um, very well and their, their beat writer very well. Um, the girl used to run Minnesota's account, um, which, you know, helped, it would have helped if the team was better, but it helped being able to, you know, talk some smack with them, knowing the people behind the account. I knew the guy in Vegas. Um, so you would definitely like to have fun. 
I remember it, you know, the way social media has evolved when I first started with the team um, and was kind of given, I wouldn't say carte blanche to, to tweet and post whatever I wanted, but a little bit of control. Um, the Broncos had a practice where they had like a microburst and kind of got flooded out like a couple inches of water on their practice field. And uh, I knew Scott Ward, who was running Broncos social then, because he is the person I basically replaced at the Avalanche. And we had this back and forth uh, Twitter GIF battle, and it was all water-related GIFs and water movies. You know, I think I tweeted a Waterworld GIF, the movie with Kevin Costner. Um, and I remember thinking it was just, oh, look what you can do on social media. This is fun. And then it must have been a slow news day because like Nine News and Channel 7 did like a full news story on it that night. And I had people start texting me that they saw it on the news. And I was horrified going into work the next day because, you know, my job was a better not seen or heard type of position. <laughs> and <laughs> it was September and I, we were on the news and I thought I was going to get in trouble, you know, for, for being too outlandish, I guess. Um, and I remember Greg Sherman came in in the morning and he said, I saw you guys on the news. He was like, was that you? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, great job. <laughs> and went to his office and I was like, okay, I don't really know what to expect here, but right. it was Take kind a of a tense moment. Yeah. But to just have fun interactions, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like talking smack to other teams outside of the wild because I didn't feel like we had a whole lot of ground to stand on um performance wise so for me it was more fun interactions like we would me and the ducks would send uh dog gifts back and forth all the time like that became our thing i feel like that was the wild west days though you were just making it up like there wasn't really something before it. and that's like five years ago i guess is when things really started to take form like when did your yeah. job first exist they didn't always yeah. have somebody who was running a twitter account right no so the twitter account started maybe two years or so before i came on and it was really just fact-based postings, like scores and stuff like that. And then it evolved a little bit to be a little bit more informal. And uh, I credit, credit Scott a lot with that. And then when I came on, um, I think there was always a concern probably on their, their end with me because I was always kind of a, a it, it was the Wild West, but I was always kind of wild. Uh, on social media. So I had, I really tamed my social media down. Um, and, but when you were feeling a good vibe on Av's Twitter account, you were just like, we're going with this. You know, we would do like themed gift nights. Um, you know, when Carrie Fisher died that day, we had a game, we tried to do a bunch of Star Wars and Carrie Fisher gifts. You know, we'd pick themes or movies or whatever. One of my favorite things too was I always tried to use like uh, song titles or song lyrics in our um, web titles. I remember so, it. That's why you started yeah. getting street cred with me quite a bit too. I'm like, oh, he plays this game. Yeah. It, to, you know, to have a little fun with it and not just be boring, the same old stuff, which it's, it's hard not to just be stale and, and tweet the same things or post the same things or respond the same way. Um, but, you know, I really got to watch Twitter evolve into a more, um, conversational and social media in general really to a more conversational role um, and it was funny because you had you know two people myself and Ron Knabenbauer who were coordinator level people who 
you know, had a direct line straight to the fans that I think not a lot of people in the company really realized or gave credit to, you know, mm -hmm. it was like, we could put out a, a poll, we could put out a question, we could seek content. Like we had a direct, direct communication with these people as kind of the voice of the team, you know, is how it evolved. And so um, you really get to see it become more powerful. And, you know, now everything, a lot of social media is so structured outside of sports that I still like the unpredictability that a sporting event brings to social media because you can't plan everything. Um, but I love just the off the cuff stuff. I think my favorite social post ever was when just briefly the abs passed Minnesota in the standings. And I tweeted the on your left gif from the, <laughs> one of the captain America movies and it, it blew up. It was like a Sunday, NFL day, the abs weren't playing and we had like hundreds of hundreds or thousands of retweets and comments, you know, like our stuff was just blowing up over this tweet. Wild fans were mad. Avs fans were happy. Um, I remember hearing that the wild organization wasn't super thrilled about it uh, and had forbade their staff from responding to us ever again. So it was kind of nice then to have a little power to, to give them a hard time with no repercussion. That's such a strange power though. That is so weird. Uh, mm -hmm. The way it's all working out. Like there was a time when hockey was, you bought tickets and went to it, right? Then it was on TV. But now, like even if you're watching it, there's still that second screen where the community online is doing stuff. And you guys were sort of the in-game entertainment at the same time that, you know, you could, you could definitely sway people to feel a certain way about a thing or get excited about a thing. And to me, just watching it is fascinating. Technology is fully embedded in sports at this point. I know that sounds obvious now, but it wasn't always that obvious. No, yeah, exactly. I remember like the concept of a second screen experience being new, you know, and now it's like, well, of course, you know, Altitude has a second screen experience and everybody has this stuff. But, you know, at the time it was like, we, we were tapping into a small network of people on Twitter, you know, particularly for live, live tweeting, you know, live events. It was like, as we had a lot of followers, but not a lot of people who engaged regularly, you know, and now like people, there are people whose sole job is to just respond to comments, not even come up with strategy or anything like that, um, which is wild. Cause it, it was just like, we did it all. We wrote the stories, we interviewed the players, we shot the video, we edited the video, we posted it, we put it on the website. We wrote the content for the game program. We edited the game program. You know, we traveled, we did media relations stuff. I started the podcast and we ran the social media accounts. Like you just, you really did everything. You just rattled that off like it was nothing. Let's just grab one and go down the rabbit hole. So podcasts, you were doing those with the players, right? Yeah. I guess this has the to abs, be a huge pain in the ass. was a thing previously, I remember it, yeah. but I think it was like, um, I think it was like altitude highlights or something that we would post on the old website, which was a nightmare. Um, and so it's funny because I was like, I want to do a podcast and I didn't feel like I had good standing with my bosses for an entire year. I felt like it wasn't a good time to approach it. So I waited a whole year before I brought it up and we got the okay. And then we tried to come up with a name for like two, three weeks. And finally we just defaulted to Babscast. We're like, we're rebranding whatever this used to be into this and tried to do it as a, you know, like a no cameras rolling, casual kind of conversation with whomever we could get. Um, and we had a hard time with player access. You know, I see player access now for some things where I'm like, wow, 
I fought for that for like a year and got it one time. And now it's like a regular thing. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of like, I had to plead with some players to get them to come on or guilt trip them to get them to come on. But eventually they just kind of went with it. You know, I think nowadays a lot of them see the value of, of that kind of stuff. But um, it was, you know, we did a lot with prospects. We got to talk to some scouting staff or development staff and um, whoever we could get approval with, you know, we'd sit down and try and have like a 30 minute to an hour long conversation with them. Um, sometimes off the cuff, you know, we'd look up some stuff. I'd try to throw some wild card stuff in there, make sure it was funny and engaging and, you know, not just factual biographical stuff. And the players, I mean, personalities came out. If I remember right, EJ said some things. I was like, oh, he's going to say that out loud. Okay. Yeah. EJ um, is that type of guy for sure. It's funny. It if you like go it. back and listen, A, we screwed up the audio on EJ's. So it's got this stupid echo on it, which was, you know, it's brutal, horrifying but... at the time. Um, and B, when we did Tyson Berry's, he's like the fourth one or something. He, we were having major technical difficulties. And so he ended up having to like wait around for an hour before we started. And he was pissed. <laughs> so it was like the worst podcast. And I've had people tell me they liked it a lot, but he was not thrilled to be there. It was like a very tough interview to get through because he was, you know, kind of combative in that sense where he, he didn't want to be there anymore. Um, but, you know, that's growing pains of any new endeavor and, and stuff where you're doing it on the spot. And we always had like 10 projects going. So you're always kind of frazzled. So of all the players, who do you think is most likely to have their own podcast when this whole um, NHL career thing's over? Definitely Eric Johnson. I get, I, you know what? You don't hear him talk a lot, though. He's always quick to say a thing and then try to get out of a thing. I feel like he's always running with, you know, one foot pointing at the door. Yeah, so, uh, you I'm know not better sure than if me. it's like a not liking the limelight kind of facet of his personality, but he's he's very funny. He's a prankster, a trickster. You know, he's always talking. Um, so I could see him, you know, not necessarily on the same level as uh, Whitney and, and uh, Bissonette, yeah, right. but, you know, like in that kind of vein, um, I could see him fitting right in. That's the spit and chicklets, right? Yeah, spit and chicklets. Yeah, those guys get was. people saying things that get people in trouble. Like, it's yeah. loose on that show. I don't know if they're drinking the pink, pink Whitney before they go or what, but I like it, man. It's like it's almost like Joe Rogan for hockey. Yeah. But with a bunch of dudes. What's, what's unfair to people like me is that, you know, athletes like them are able to get that kind of really candid and loose interview where hockey players are always guarded. Even, you know, I worked for the team. I'm like, my job is literally to make you look up and you're still like guarded with me, you know, like I'm not going to get you and burn you on some question, but I am trying to give people a chance to know the player or, you know, players. It was always kind of my goal to use my access in a way that benefited the fans as best as I could. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I always wanted fans to feel like they really got a chance to know their favorite player or the inner workings or things that were going on, you know, by taking the unprecedented level of access I had and converting it into content that people, people could consume. You know, one of the favorite things I pitched and tried um, was penalty box interviews during the Burgundy and White game last awesome. year it happened. So I every time somebody got a penalty it was at DU. I'd run from the press box all the way down to the penalty box 
and I'd go in the penalty box and then I would do this quick video interview on my phone with like, what's going on in the game? Or you just got in a fight. Tell me about that. Like, what do you guys need to do to get back in the game? It's not something you could do during the regular season. Right. Um, but since you could do it during the, the burgundy white game, you know, we tried to not interfere with training camp a lot or uh, rookie camp just because, you know, people are battling for jobs and standing. Um, but like the burgundy and white game gave you an opportunity to try some unique things. And that was a favorite thing of mine was like, I'll take fans into the penalty box and we'll hear from a player as he's serving his penalty, you know, that kind of stuff. That's so did you ever get those or no? I've yeah, never seen one or that. heard one. I'll, I'll try and find it and I'll tweet it at you after this. I did. Uh, I know awesome. I got John Mitchell. I know I got Josh Anderson. I think I got Nick Maloche. Um, and there was one kid who played for Arcadia Bathurst and he tried out for camp and he fought, he got in a fight with somebody that might've been the fight with Anderson. Um, you know, just getting to talk to these guys, like in the moment, like, what was that fight about? You know? And I know Josh Anderson was like, he said he wanted to go. So I said, okay, like that yeah. kind of stuff, you I, know, that's super though, right? off the cuff and trying to be, you know, as a content creator, you want to find something that people, everyone hasn't tried yet, you know, maybe pioneer the way in some of that stuff. So it was always fun to try experiment like that. I love experiments. That's all I ever do. That's what I fam is, is a big experiment. But um, what didn't you get to do that you wanted to do? Because it sounds like you had some really cool ideas, but I didn't realize you had so much, what's the word I'm looking for? Not really red tape, but like just structure around you, things that would keep you from trying a new thing right away. Yeah, there were some restrictions. Um, I think, you know, trying to be a, a progressive operation um, in a old school mentality sport um, was hard. Uh, and so that kind of created problems, you know, like I said, where I didn't feel like I could pitch a podcast for a year until they had enough trust in me that, you know, I wasn't going to put the organization in a bad light or, you know, misrepresent the organization. Um, they're very, very much about the logo and protecting the logo and making sure that, you know, the avalanche as an organization is more than just current players or current staff or whatever. So it was always about trying to make them look as best as we could. They seem really relaxed with the logo, if, if I'm being honest, and I've always avoided it. Um, just yeah. out of principle. I mean, it's not mine, right? Like, that's unfair. What I do already seems maybe a little gray area at times. I don't know. Um, but I remember a time when I think it was you who bought some hats for Duchesne. Yeah. How horrible, horrible on my side, by the way, because the hats came out like crap. Um, it led to me doing work with other people with hats and whatnot. And again, I wasn't planning to make hats. That wasn't what I was after. I'd done it in the past, but that's not what I was doing. But this this access you have to players, I don't think people realize that you were... I don't know. What were you to them? Like, um, it seems like a deviation from what we talked about already, like another side of your job that maybe was undocumented or just unknown. Yeah, it seemed like I was a catch all, you know, so like if the players needed something, I think that fell under sort of like media relations responsibilities. Um, you know, there were times where at big events like the season ticket holder um, parties that we would do or the gala and stuff like if a player was clearly in a situ like stuck in a situation and needed an out, 
yeah i would come over and be like okay time to go or you know like we can't i need you over here for this or whatever you know you kind of step in and and pr your way out of there um on top of you know if they needed their master pool created and printed i would do that for them you know like you did a lot for for the players outside of i would say normal job responsibilities were you traveling with them as well yeah i think uh that seems brutal it so it was hilarious hilarious you say that because i feel like for many people that's the dream right you want to go to every game and you want to be there in the trenches and you want to cover the team and um my first year i only went on one trip and it was the preseason trip to montreal and quebec city where the abs played um, at the Bell Center and then at the Coliseum de Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, really awesome to get to go to Quebec City and experience the city and the fans there and, you know, their love for Joe Sackick and um, their hatred of the Canadians. And uh, so that was fun. And then I was bummed the whole rest of the year that we never really performed well enough for me to get to go on the road. And then the next season, I traveled a little bit more. And then my last year there, I traveled a lot. I would say one of us went on uh, at least 50% of the road trips. Um, And so, you know, sometimes you spend a week, a week and a half or two weeks on the road. And you're like, I don't even know what day it is. I've heard other social media people in the league say that when they got to a new hotel, they would take a picture of their room number so they could find it later because you just like forget what hotel you're in or where your room is anymore. Yeah. It's smart. I never had to do quite that, but you know, sometimes you just lose track of what day it was. My last season, um, I was on the road so much at the start of the year that I didn't even really have time to buy Christmas presents for my family. Um, and we played Toronto at home and immediately flew out to Chicago and played Chicago on the 23rd of December. And so they didn't have a morning skate because it was a back-to-back. I think we got to Chicago at like, or the hotel at like 4 a.m. So I slept until maybe 11, got up, did some work, and then went and walked from our hotel to like the Water Tower Plaza and just bought all my Christmas presents were like popcorn and you know, Chicago themed stuff because it was within walking distance to the hotel and I had been too busy. Otherwise, you know, it was just kind of like that. I I almost feel like you're smiling while you say it though. I mean, I think that it's possible that things were kind of tough and hard and like, you don't know what day it is or exactly where you are. If you were a band, you might get up there and go, hello, Denver, but you're really in Chicago, things like that. Right. Yeah. But when you you look back at how mistake like that happened. Yeah. It's like camping, right? When you're camping, it sucks. Things are biting you and all that. But two years later, you're like, that was so fun. Why don't we camp more? Like, I feel like yeah. it's that kind of thing. Yeah, I had, you know, being on the road, I had some great experiences. I had some not great experiences. When I've told this story on our podcast before, but I was pretty sick on a trip to Winnipeg. I mean, we went Winnipeg, uh, Minnesota. I think that was the only two stops on the trip. But I had been, like, pretty sick with an uh, upset stomach, we'll say. Um, you know, and, and like traveling that way isn't necessarily the most fun um, you can have. But there are some trips where even just you'd catch a cold and you're like, I'll never get over this because I'm working 60, 70 hours a week and, you know, not sleeping a whole lot and stuff like that. But at the same time, you could look back at some of the work you did and be, and, and be proud of 
accomplishing some things or doing really, really good work with nothing to work with. Um, a project I frequently talk about is, you know, proposing a behind the scenes, like 24 seven esque video at the first outdoor game at Coors Field. And I, we were so busy. We recruited Alexis Perry, who was the, you know, the in-game host um, and our friend Fraser to come and shoot video for us and just get all the behind scenes footage we can. And we put together, I wanted to put together basically a 30 minute episode that Altitude could air. Um, I think we fell short at like 22 minutes and they never really put it on TV, but it was a project that just came out you know, beautifully, despite the team not playing well and our plans for sort of an exit strategy on the video fell apart. So then we went way into the summer, like conducting interviews with guys, um, recounting things. So we had some sort of way to close this video out. Um, but then you go back and watch it and you're like, wow, I can't believe that's something we accomplished, you know, out of chaos, basically. Yeah, it's weird when you're in the moment too, when you're not even thinking enough to try things, you're just doing things. It sounds a little bit like that, but that's gold right there. That's kind of stuff that, I mean, diehard fans want to see that stuff that didn't air. It's like the missing tape from Hendrix or something. Maybe yeah. not that profound, but still. There's a, there's definitely the missing uh, J.S. Jaguar interview that exists mm -hmm. that I've seen the video of that I've talked about before where he called the team out for wanting to go on to their Vegas trip more than finishing the season like that's that's a video i wish i had a copy of and it could see the light of day but it does exist you don't have copies of these things no Man. the team has a copy of it like no with the link or like no uh no hard no okay no. i wish i had it i do too part at your house um yeah that's awesome so are you still doing a podcast now no i basically viewed my my time as worth some sort of compensation mm -hmm. and this is going to sound lame and it kind of is lame but um you know after working so hard for so long and you know before i worked for the team i basically had a full-time job and then treated growing my journalism and, and content career as a full-time job um that i felt like if i were going to devote time to these things that there needed to be some sort of compensation or a direction or some sort of organization. And so I don't have any really projects in the works. I've been thinking about starting my own website about, you know, sports and more, mm -hmm. um, but it's just never really gotten off the ground. You know, obviously the current global situation makes it a little difficult for some things, um, but technology kind of alleviates that, right? So we can do an interview over Zoom or podcast over Zoom, whereas, two, three years ago, this would be a lot harder to accomplish. Even a year ago, you would have got a link to Zencaster versus this one because it was the only thing that would do split channel, high definition VoIP. Yeah. And like now have, it's commonplace. Uh, this is the world we live in. This is my everyday is this little window in front of me that like, I, this is how I do my job. I never, like, I don't even travel anymore to, to my real job. This is yeah. where I do everything. I've been working from home since March 7th, I think. I've been working you know, my whole life to get there, man. I spent years driving up and down 470 and 25. I mean, and after a while, it was like an hour each way with the traffic we have now. Yeah. Uh, and it was just sucking my life away, man. So I made some, you know, I worked really hard and I spent so much time in studios too that it was hard to work from home, but I switched up the kind of work I do and I love it. I'm not particularly a people person. I'm not a fan of many of them, honestly. 
Yeah, um, I totally. And they wear me out, them. man. I mean, I'm a true introvert. Like, if I hang out with people for a half a day, I'm gonna need the whole next day just to be human again. I just, I don't know. That's who I am. It's largely yep. too why I just don't. And nobody sees my face. I can walk into any room. Not that I'm that cool, anyways. But I just never have to worry about it. I just don't ever want to to feel like you have to be on. And I don't feel like you could do that. I feel like if you walked into a bar as, as humble as you're being about it, I don't know who you are. You'd be like that commercial, like, hey, that's like. 40 bucks, say 40 bucks guy or whatever that is. Right. I know uh, I'm talking I, about that was a yep. bad, bad explanation. No, I know exactly what you mean. And it's, it's, it's not even like celebrity. I think there's a concept of celebrity um, and paparazzi that kind of ruins, you know, the thought of being in the public eye for a lot of people. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to be recognized and, you know, sometimes you're like, ah, I don't want to have to deal with this, but you do anyway, just because, you know, I always was very grateful for anybody that consumed anything I did. And I still am, you know, anybody who read anything that I wrote or watched anything that I made, it was like, even if I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling like I don't want to interact with people, if, if these people took enough time to like know what I look like or, or, you know, talk to me about something that I created, the least I could do is engage back with them. Yeah, I don't so want to say that was a, kind of I'm the sorry, approach I took. No, you're good. Um, I like I I keep thinking you had like a once in a lifetime thing, but I don't think that's true. I think that maybe was like a one off experience, and I think they should die. Right? This is like friends. You don't have to have the same friends you've always had in life. It's okay to have a friend, and then you don't see that person anymore. I think yeah. the same is true of jobs or projects. But uh, secretly, I wish you had something that just had you so inspired that you couldn't stand it that had to do with hockey. It sounds like you're just moving on a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's just tough. Like I said, I, I wanted to start a, a paid website and before the Denver Post went paid and um, BSN went paid and before the Athletic launched. And I just kind of, I drug my feet trying to get pieces together for it. So it wasn't just me. I never felt like I had real, really enough clout to be able to, to do something that would pay the right. bills. So I drug my feet and then all those things happened. And then, you know, like I said, now... I could do something for free, you know, but that's, it's hard in the current climate. So then you're like, okay, well, if I ask people to subscribe, you know, then people have to decide, do I want to subscribe to X, Y, and Z, or just one of those. And then, you know, I feel like I'm friends with most everybody who is in that position as well. So it's like, I don't want to necessarily take away, you know, somebody's livelihood. Um, I guess I'm not cutthroat enough. Maybe that's the problem. I just don't know if you like have the desire to do it, not in a bad way at all, but there's a lot yeah, going on. Yeah, there's a I lot mean, of that too. The data experiment sure. is in full gear right now. He's bringing other people on, BSN, who became the Denver, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and I was talking to AJ before that was even going on, and then when they were looking for sponsors, and I was like, dude, you need a podcast. And now they have a podcast that's so good. I just, for the most part, stopped doing any podcast with the exception of these ones where I'm just truly fascinated by your experience and what you've done and who you are now that this is what I want to talk about is that ecosystem around hockey and in hockey that maybe goes under the radar. Yeah. To me, no, that's so that's what you need to do is you have to come up with, you know, something nobody else is doing that is also engaging. And so you're engaged by that. And I, I I'm willing to bet other people are engaged by that. And that by just that simple choice, 
you're not doing something that everyone else is doing, right? right. And, and I'm truly doing it because I want to. Like, if five people listen, cool. I'm sure more will. But, like, for me, this is this is what's really interesting is the more and more you watch this. I mean, first you see sports in general, but hockey in particular, bringing people together who would never talk to each other. Yeah. People who voted on both sides. People who, yep. you know, they might have a fist fight in a bar over a key stick or something. But when it comes to hockey, they can come together for that. And there's just not enough of that in the world. But it's fascinating how it happens here in hockey. And so yeah, for me, crazy. like, that's not just the players, though, right? There's a whole organization. There is this, like, army of people who put a ring together, people who talk to other people, play the music, uh, make sure that, you know, the players have their gear. Like, there's so much more going on. And I think that's that's untapped and things that I find super interesting. I think other people do. Yeah, I think, you know, the real stories aren't always what happens on the ice or in the game or, you know, whatever. Like, there's so many more stories occurring than just that mm -hmm. and sometimes you get real sick of you know i like my joke is always that i'm so glad i don't have to write another you know this player now on this team is facing his former team for the first time like those stories were the worst you know because most <laughs> of the time they're like eh, it's nothing you know but we're trying to make it something so you're like well you've yeah. got to feel some sort of emotion you know, like Ryan Graves, you're like, okay, the Rangers gave up on you. Now you're going to play them for the first time. Like, how are you feeling? You know, and for him, he's probably moved on. You <laughs> but everybody else in the media he's like, I just like, don't care. Yeah. yeah, everybody else in the media is like, no, this is a thing. So let's talk about it. Like that, that kind of stuff. Even I got so sick of writing, but, you know, I think telling stories about um, things off the ice or away from the rink or, you know, crafting a, a larger story um, is more enjoyable than just, you know, like who, who scored, who, who was on the second power play and scored or right, know, that or kind of thing. Who has a scoring streak while wearing a third jersey stuff. You're like, does that, is that a, yeah, thing? Is that a new metric? Who's on about? Whose line during practice in, you know, November. You're like, well, that's, there's, there's a lot of room for change there. So if you were to future cast this thing, let's say that you're looking, because it's been weird, right? I mean, again, there wasn't always Twitter, as weird as that seems to say out loud. And people didn't always use it this way. And anymore, it's almost dangerous to get on Twitter, right? I mean, I get a lot of hate, trust me. I'm guessing you got a lot more. I don't know how you could get a lot of hate, but yes, I have gotten Because everybody wants to hate somebody. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not too upset with it. And I try to keep myself out of that. I mean, typically I'll post like, hey, we made a shirt. Here it is. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, I have other accounts too where I say more words, but to me, I spam it. Just, it isn't about me. But when it's knowing the brand, I don't even know if I'm a brand or a third no, brand. Like, I don't know what the hell I am. Fan is definitely a brand. It's weird because I keep adding things so much that I'm a little surprised sometimes when I see something pop up in a weird place or it gets a little attention. But I also, I mean, I turn down anything that involves me showing my face, and that's kept a lot of people from wanting to talk to me. And I've heard from just about all the outlets around here. Really? Uh, but still, like, I'd love to go, like, we used to go to, to Bender's, and we would get there in the off hours and sit down with Dater and do a podcast there at the tables, and the guy who owns it would come join us and get those two together, and it's old mm -hmm. stories, because he evidently used to work for the Post or something, or the news, I don't know. I'd yeah. I'd piss them both off with what I just said, because I don't know for sure, but it's just, it's really weird when you get down to it. Everybody's just, just a person out doing things. Like, you had a cool job, the coolest job in the world to some people at one point, and you're still just a dude doing things. Yeah. Right. I think That's people forget that players yeah. are just dudes who do a thing really well. And a lot of people care. Like, I don't know. I get a little put out with the, the strangeness that comes from so much access, so much media and so much chatter. Yeah. What's wild is to take a step back 
from from sports and fandom. So, you know, going into college, I wanted to go to DU because it was a good school. They had hockey and my dad had season tickets to the apps. And so I was like, cool, check off all those boxes. I'm set, you know, and then my first year there was the lockout. And so you're like, okay, I can get my hockey fix from the pioneers. This is great. You know, and then working my way up to covering the team and being a blogger when you're always on and you got to put your, you know, write your opinion and cover, you know, everything that happens at all times. You're just plugged in all the time. And then, you know, trying to be an un unbiased member of the media, having grown up a fan of the team, you start to remove your fandom from it. So it's like, you know, I don't really mind if they win or lose, but obviously winning generally produces a better story. Uh, or at least gives you better content from the team or the players. So, you know, you're, you're not necessarily rooting for success, but you're rooting for good stories, you know, and then leaving the organization and having had, you know, some tough times um, with the team is like, okay, I'm not really a fan anymore. So I'm kind of in this gray area and then people don't like you because you're not a fan of their, the team that they support you know, so they're mad that you won't agree with them, you know, or yep. that but just because I won't jump right out and say, I think Kale McCarr deserves the Calder because he's played on the avalanche, you know, like upsets people. Or a better example is in the playoffs last year when Landis Gog was offside and I immediately was like, you know, he should have known better. That was definitely offside. People get mad because they're so passionate and they want to be, you know, kind of surrounded by people with, an equal stake mm -hmm. and so they're like how could you say that you hate this team and i'm like well i just am i'm not wearing the burgundy tinted glasses you know so i can say that's a penalty or that's offside you know i'm not colored by hope or desire necessarily and it, it can cause some friction with people who just want that you know and it makes yep. me wary of journalism sometimes or faux journalism in the sense that it's like more lip service to super fans than actual journalism you know what i mean so you want to make sure that you can be um, unbiased and honest but now sometimes you have to worry if if the fans are paying your bills and you're writing things that they don't agree with they may stop paying your bills that's true. And it could happen at any point. That's why it's so bold to take the move that many of them have. But what's yeah. the data going to do? What is the Dem is right. DNVR? How should I say this? Yeah, I, I just call it DNVR. I don't know if it's Denver or not. but I think the website's like that Denver. I haven't been in a while. But yeah, I mean, these guys have built this from the ground up, right? But to a large degree, I mean, they're fans. I think that maybe they'd yeah. be as as unbiased as they can but even dater now is like posting things like i'm gonna cheer this year i'm like oh after all these decades you're you're finally gonna cheer for the team i'm like what was ever wrong with that and yeah. it's naive on my side i just don't know because all i've ever been is a fan i've never been you know a person who had to have um a proper angle on a thing is like nope he was definitely he was on sides look like you can make up the story you can look at the same picture and you can draw the story however you want it. yeah People are going to come to two different conclusions. It's funny because, you know, there's no cheering in the press box. And so stupid. there needs to be a level of decorum. Um, but Plus sometimes I, I know it's I'm hard. an idiot, by the way, with this. When I say it's stupid, I know that it shouldn't. Well, yeah. But. And like when you work for the team, right? You're like, I work for the team. So if some big moment happens, I should be allowed to at least like exclaim. Not necessarily like jumping up and down and screaming and clapping my hands, you know, but like being excited that, you know, oh, we score a goal and we're going to the playoffs, you know, or something like that. But 
I do remember uh, one time Nikita Zadorov hit Mark Shifley in that game and Shifley like basically flipped. He hit him so hard. And I remember this. Yeah. I was sitting in the press box and I just was like, Oh, like out loud. Couldn't resist just reacting, you know, and it wasn't like a cheer, but it was funny because it was late in the game, I think. And everybody was kind of like writing their story or whatever. (laughs) And then you see everybody in the press box, look up at the TV, like what just happened? I'm like, I'm pretty sure Zadorov just killed Mark Shifley. You know, it's one of those. I think it was the one where you had to try pretty hard to not. It was like three hits in a row, though. But one of them was that one that just tumbled the guy. And he's not a small dude. He's a big dude. Yeah, it was like the third hit. But yeah, he hit him behind the net once. I think he hit him maybe by the benches once. And then that one where he was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, how can you not gasp at that point? That's just being a hockey fan. Yep. And that's kind of what evolved, right? So you may not be rooting for a team anymore, but like you're rooting for good plays or good games or hockey in general. I mean, I'm a homer through and through, but uh, I'm also a hockey fan. So I, you know, I have a lot of respect for what these guys do. But also, I mean, if somebody like, let's be honest, Crosby's amazing. He's a little whiny yeah. sometimes, but he's an amazing player. And I'm lucky to be able to watch him, especially in his prime and where he's at now. I don't even know, but it's just, it's great to have so much good content, but I'm always going to root for the abs, right? I'm not, right. I'm not weird. I don't have any alliance with anyone to do it any different. And to me, we're just lucky to have Colorado hockey right now. I mean, there was a time where there wasn't a pro team and, we've had kind of not such a great system for so long and everything seems to be firing on the right, on the right uh, tempo right now where we have players who are going to make the NHL coming out of Colorado who are 12 right now. It'll happen. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like I said, the other day, you know, uh, Jacob Slavin is from Erie and he scored the first goal of the playoffs. He scored the first NHL goal in August ever, you know, and you're like Colorado kid. That's pretty cool. If that sounded like an abrupt ending, it's because it was. We're trying really hard not to go too far down the rabbit hole because we want to have Ryan back for a part two. We could talk to him for hours and hours and hours. So huge thanks to Ryan for being on the podcast and for setting the tone for Avalanche social media for years to come. Keep your eyes out for a part two with Ryan Bolding. This and every other podcast we do is brought to you by Avspam, A-B-S-F-A-M.com. Awesome hockey shirts for awesome hockey people. Stay awesome.